Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back. A wild weekend of Syria action. Here's a look at the results. Inter Milan get the 1-0 win over Roma. Did you guys watch Cagliari versus Frosinone? That game was unhinged. Wow. Unhinged. Yeah. Another miracle by Claudio Ranieri coming from behind to win 4-3. Um, and in the big one of the weekend, Napoli and AC Milan. This one ends in a 2-2 draw after AC Milan went up 2-0 in this game. Let's get to the highlights, shall we, from the Maradona. Let's pick it up in the 23rd minute. And uh, Olivier Giroud has been uh, very adept at scoring goals. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and listen, Napoli was imposing their game. Milan hadn't created too much. And with two shots on target, they went up 2-0. And Giroud hadn't scored in a really long time. And what a he ball from Christian Pulisic there. Beautiful. Puts it on a platter. And in. then less than 10 minutes later. Mmm. Giroud, again! When you're hot, you're hot. You break that duct as a goal scorer, it's incredible, and it feels like, okay, anything I touch, it's gonna be gold. But that was just in the first half. Different story, second half. Napoli in the 50th minute. Matteo Palitano with an absolute hammer. Left foot, just beats beats Magnon with power. As fifth Serie A goal this season, and then... Oh my. Raspadori. Raspadori. Look at the, the celebration. Is, it was nice. Wow, here's a look at this match by the numbers. Uh, again, this one ends in a 2 2 draw. AC Milan, I mean, was it kind of a, a tale of two halves for, for AC Milan? They just let Napoli back in this one. What was your, what did you make of, of this one? How do you assess it, Charlie? Well, well Milan being up 2 0. On the road, you need to you need to win the game. You need to close it out, and and to give it up off a set piece, um, it's going to be difficult because Pioli is is looking to get these guys going again because Champions League hasn't gone has not gone well. No. And you, Giroud was always I felt like a player who was brought in as not your future goal scorer. He was brought in. And you had Slatan Ibrahimovic who was in and out. You had Giroud who was going to be a consistent player, but more of a rotational guy, not someone you're going to depend on to say he's going to be our out-and-out striker, but he's done so well. Mm. But they haven't had a backup plan. And I thought this, this year would be the season where you, you get another striker who's capable to push Giroud and maybe share some more minutes. And if Giroud is not scoring goals, there isn't a, really a number two in that position. And for Napoli, um, Rudy Garcia 
wakes up to live another day as Napoli manager. It felt like at halftime he was packing his <laughs> bags. Think? Well, it's been so unconvincing from Napoli. And, and for Milan, when you look at it from their perspective, Kalulu gets injured and they bring on this young Argentine defender. I had never heard of him, Pellegrino. <laughs> He came from Platense. I don't know how you the scouting you is. You haven't heard of it? You never heard of it? I know. From Platense. The scouting at Milan is unbelievable. They're finding a center, a young center back from Platense in Argentina. All of Italy. Anyway. They got their yeah. Italy. Got no, they have Sule also in that Frosinone game. Um, anyway, I, I, I digress. Um, he had, there was an individual error from his part that kind of opened the door for Napoli and for Milan it was almost about just just keeping that door shut Napoli adjusted they brought on Cholo Simeone, Cholito Simeone they had two lines two lines of four the two strikers up top they abandoned that 4-3-3 and it, it didn't change too much but once that door was open Napoli then had a little bit of momentum on their side and they could have won anybody really could have won and we were looking for a winner late 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 um, but it's it's a for Rudy Garcia. It's a massive result for him to stay as Napoli manager. Think Ooh. about how far we are. Where they won the league, it felt like they won the league basically the third month in last season, and now we're talking about a draw at home as like a great result. I mean, they were they were miles ahead yeah. in the Scudetto race at this point last season. So it is it's kind of shocking to see them at this point. Um, all right, let's take a look at some other notable results around Europe from the weekend. Uh, oh man, PSV. 5-2 over Ajax. Things uh, just keep getting worse for for Ajax. It's it's quite stunning. It was their best half of the entire season. Okay, so that's a positive. They were, they were, they were like really good, that. and then they crumbled. And, and, and they are playing on the road to a PSV. It's yeah, not, it's five, not five, two. Yes, but it's... it's yeah. Yikes. It's Ajax. It's, it's okay. Um, um, Bayer Leverkusen win again, 2-1 over Freiburg. But I'm looking at this Bayern Munich Dutch Oh, my match. word. Eight wow. nipple. Eight goals for Bayern Munich. For, they score eight goals just, in 37 minutes. Yeah, just to put this in context, Munich goes down a man. In the fourth minute, Kimmich is sent off. Look at Harry Kane scoring from half. This is incredible. Oh. He had a hat trick. Are you kidding me? But this was a game that was 10 versus 9. 10 versus so 9. Darmstadt then had two players sent off in the first half. So we were going 10 versus that in this whole first half. It was nil-nil. <laughs> and then Munich go eight goals and drop an eight-piece on Darmstadt. And it's a hat-trick for Kane, a brace for Sané, a brace for Musiala, and then Mueller he comes in. He's like, hey, I'm Mr. Munich, like, and I'll get, the, the I'll, I'll get on the eighth goal. I, I think when you watch this, this Munich team play, and when Sané is cooking like that, Dribbling, he played phenomenal. Musiala coming into his own. This this team is scary. When they put when Harry Kane is scoring goals like this, yeah. Hey. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, I know they, you're, you're not are. convinced. It's a training uh, session. I hate. Yeah, but it's, Nico, it's, what is it for you? Why are you hesitating? Because they were playing against nine men. Okay. And against one of the worst teams in the Bundesliga, that absolutely they they you pulled the pin and they <laughs> collapsed. They were so bad. Once the first goal came in, you felt like it was imminent. But once the first, and then the second, and you could see the body language from Are the players. Are you not impressed by putting up? Oh, for for sure, for sure, I'm impressed. It, it is impressive. You got to score. You got to score a half field goal, like they did. But we're so used to seeing this from from Bayern. He right? scored from behind the half-field yeah. line. I'm not saying it's Wait, not impressive, so, but it's <laughs> not we didn't, but we didn't see that last year. Right, but a win against a nine-man Darmstadt. 
doesn't immediately make them candidates to win. They have the pot- to win the the Champions League because that's that's what I'm measuring them at. Yeah, that's where I measure Tuchel. In. So you're not, not winning the Bundesliga. That's not, not the enough. B- Bundesliga as competitive it is as it is this season with with sure and Leverkusen and they get it done eventually. Congratulations! Right. Look how much you look how much quality you have on your team. You're the favorites in the very beginning. Like you're you're well seventeenth Bundesliga in a row. Bravo! Oh, Champions League, man. Not impressed. No, it's not that I'm not impressed. I'm not, not impressed. surprised. And a win against Darmstadt. Okay. No, I see what you're saying. Ziyad's, okay, yes, it's expected. Ziyad's were minus yeah. 1,400 <laughs> to win. So, I see what you're yes, saying. Yes, they should have won. And to be honest, they even looked better than them when they were down a man against the, uh, Darmstadt with uh, with with their full 11. But still, 8-0, you've got, you know. 12 goals in nine Bundesliga matches for Harry Kane and five assists. Yeah. And that's just Bundesliga. That's just Bundesliga. He's killing it I know. right now. I'm happy for him. I still enjoy Harry Kane. And, and, and Leroy Zane is having his best season. Yes. Nico's just like, I'm going to have more money. He's hitting his peak. Unimpressed. Ruido de mate. When you don't want to talk, you just use the Argentine ruido. I want the to, sound of sometimes mate. Sometimes I, t- I just want to just bicycle it. kick that thermostat <laughs> off no. the table. You can do it in the break. It's not a <laughs> We're going to take another timeout. Hey, we'll be right back. Scissor kick it off. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Cancelo in towards Haaland! It had to be! It just had to be! Oh, Getty's holding on for dear life. Mbappe goes on and scores! Mbappe back to Messi. That is a sensational goal. Absolutely no chance. Well, today we celebrate the best of the best in the world of football. The Ballon d'Or Award Ceremony. Our coverage kicks off at 2 p.m. Eastern from the red carpet. The ceremony begins at 3.45 p.m. Eastern. You can stream it right here on Paramount+. And for more, we bring in our very good friend, Guillaume Balaguet, who, to nobody's shock, is uh, en route to the awards ceremony. Let's bring in Guillaume right now. Hello, Guillaume. Are you are you at the airport right now? Looks like it. I'm definitely at one airport. <laughs> I think it's Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> and from here, I'll go to Paris in a minute. That is the plan. So yeah, I'll check on my agenda, but I think that's what we're doing. Okay, so you're you're on your way to, to the Ballon d'Or. Um, I think we're all sort of anticipating that it will be Leo Messi uh, being crowned the, the winner. What are what are you anticipating from this ceremony? Well, to be honest, uh, considering that he's there, so is his family and his entourage, it's definitely a goa. Um, Aitana Bonmati has also traveled today with uh, with representatives of Barcelona. She's going to win the Ballon d'Or as well, and she deserves it. So many reasons in both cases. In the case of, of Leo, not only he wins the World Cup, becomes the best player of the World Cup, the best player of Argentina every, every single round, uh, the best goal scorer of the World Cup. 
and wins the leg one with uh, with PSG. You shouldn't forget that with 21 goals and 20 assists. I've been looking at stats that uh, can back him up even more. And actually in goal contributions, which is goals, assists, and the pass before the assist, nobody's better than him. Not, not even Haaland, who's got one less. So... It is one Ballon d'Or that he was always going to win after he won the World Cup. I've spoken to three of the 170 voters, perhaps not the best poll that I could have come up with, but the three of them said the same, six points to him, and that's the maximum you can give, because he probably is the last one, and yes, there might be a little bit of uh, you know, uh, homage to it, but there is enough evidence that he was the best player of the year. And I, I think you can say the same about Aitana Bonmati. When wins the World Cup and vote, gets voted best player, wins the Champions League and get voted best player, she's got to win it. By the way, let's going to give it the Copa to the best youngster, to Jude Bellingham, uh, who is also has traveled to Paris. So I guess not by chance. Guillaume, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue the fact that Messi wins the World Cup, best player in the World Cup, game changer, that Ballon d'Or feels, feels normal. But I just, you look at Erling Haaland winning a treble, scoring 52 goals in 53 appearances, you know, 12 goals in 11 appearances in Champions League, 36 goals in 35 appearances in the Premier League, that there should be some sort of, of recognition. And was it close at all? Like, what do you have to do if you're a goal scorer with putting up those numbers to get some recognition? The Ballon d'Or, though, is not an individual trophy. It's not an int- uh, a trophy that uh, awards individual talent and effectiveness only. There is a side of it which has to do with the collective as well. So the best player collectively and individually. And, of course, Haaland managed to be very important for Manchester City, but we didn't see him with with Norway in the biggest of stages. It is that. Uh, I don't think he was that equal. I don't think both players had... uh, But this is just my impression. I don't feel that both players were actually that close and Messi was... Can you hear him? Sorry, I don't know if you can hear oh, me now. Oh, there we go. Yeah, we hear you now. Now we got we, you. We just we missed the last back. part of your answer. Holland was unplugging your internet. <laughs> 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 it's just, uh, what I was saying is just basically uh, the Ballon d'Or awards, individual and collective results. That's first of all. Secondly, there's a touch of glamour related to the Ballon d'Or as well. How do you... How do you decide who is the best? And yes, individual statistics help, but there is something more about Messi that for as long as he gives us so much pleasure and wins, I think he should be there or thereabouts. So imagine for a second, right, that he wins the MLS next season and he becomes the best player of the MLS and wins the Copa America. What's the chances of him actually being winning or almost winning again the Ballon d'Or? This is not over yet. The, The era of Messi and Ronaldo is over, yes, the era of Bellingham, Mbappé, Haaland, and Messi has just started. Ooh, wow. That would be interesting. I, I do want to switch it to uh, the women's uh, Ballon d'Or. You mentioned Aitana Bonmati, uh, absolutely incredible World Cup winner, uh, golden ball winner at the World Cup. Talk about just this sort of incredible rise that she's had and what this means for Spain, too. I think Alexia Potellas was last year, so they keep the uh, Ballon d'Or in Spain. Yeah, he's the third player that actually wins the Ballon d'Or for Spain. Luis Suarez in the 60s was the third one. And 
it's interesting, if you like, the reaction to Aitana winning it compi- compared to when Alexia won it. It was just take it for granted. It, it didn't take many headlines. It didn't take covers. Now we are in a different space, there is much more attention towards uh, female football or football played by women, whatever you want to call it. And quite clearly, if you look at Spain and you look at Barcelona, both the best teams in the world, and you look at Aitana's role, which is described by Pep Guardiola as as an Iniesta, I think she's more like a Xavi, but in any case, she's the engine and the brains of the midfield of both the best teams in the world. She's got to win it, and she's won already the European Play of the Year. So there's no argument that uh, that she deserves the accolade, and you're absolutely right. This is... um, a touch of attention for Spanish football. Not only Barcelona is the best team in the world, we shouldn't just stop there, as Aitana has been saying, and Alexia has been saying as well. This should help improve the conditions of pitches, more interest for uh, women's football, and a lot of things that should benefit Spanish football in general. So winning it, it will be celebrated and should be celebrated by all of us. Guillaume, I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to uh, chat a little fashion with you because, as always, you look uh, very put together. We know that you love your shirts. But what does one wear to a a Ballon d'Or? What does Guillaume Balaguer wear to a Ballon d'Or? How do you up the level for this event? To be honest, I'm, I'm wearing the clothes for, uh, like a journalist's clothes because I've got an accreditation as a journalist today. But I went to the, I did the red carpet last season. And then you, of course, wear the best clothes you can. Black, if you can, with flowers. Red, if you can, red flowers, a shirt. That will be my combination. That was my combination last season. Ah, but you, you, you come up quite a bit seeing you in the Netflix documentary. So when, when did that change happen for you? When did you start rocking the, the, the nice colors? <laughs> well, the day I realized that uh, why do women have to wear colors and we can't? I mean we should be allowed. And uh, since then, it's just uh, a look back. Uh, life has to be lived to the full and to the brightest possible. So that's the beginning of everything. Words to live by. Well right. said, Guillaume Balaguer. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Safe travels and enjoy the ceremony. Thank you. Looking forward to it. All right, guys, we are going to take another break. Christina Uncle is going to join us. When we return, there was some controversial refereeing decisions made this weekend, and uh, she is going to enlighten us on those decisions. That's after a quick timeout. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. To morning footy, there were some wild matches that we saw this weekend, and as always, uh, some controversial refereeing decisions. So, who better to bring in to chat over these with than Christina Uncle? Good morning, Christina. How are you? Good morning. Haven't had my coffee yet, but I am ready to go. Let, she, you always are, and we appreciate that about you so much. Um, okay, so I'm sure you're you're not shocked that we want to chat about the controversial penalty that was called during that Manchester derby. Hoyland bringing down Rodri in the box. Kind of. I don't know. People are, are very up in arms about this one. And I know you spoke about it on uh, Scoreline over the weekend. But if you could uh, regale us with your thoughts on this and why this was called and if it was the right decision. 
Yeah. So I'm not going to have the popular opinion of those who are screaming that this is not a penalty because, in fact, it is a VR recommendation for penalty. Take a look here, Raji, right there in that penalty spot being pulled down by Hoyland itself. But we have to focus on two things. First and foremost, that if you take a look right there, Levin's arm is lifted out and there is a hook and a hold at the beginning of that run. That is one of the major considerations. The second major consideration as to why VAR would intervene in this position is because of the drop zone. Where the ball eventually drops in that area. Essentially, if Rodri is going to be in that drop zone area here between the 6 and the 18, that has an impact. So when we take a look at these plays from a referee perspective, we are focused on impact. Did that foul or that potential foul impact overall play? And because Rodri would have been in the drop zone and at that beginning of that play, Hoyland does hook and hold him. It's not just a push of an arm, but it's an actual extension over his midriff. This rises to the level of what we would expect as a recommendation for a penalty. So, but for that, he would have been within that vicinity and the opportunity to play the ball in a fair manner. Proper recommendation from VAR Michael Oliver. Paul Tierney takes it, and I know the world is going to yell at me now. <laughs> so, uh, Christina, I think the world is going to yell at you because... Well, Nico will start. Referees, <laughs> the thing is that referees through VAR, their arms are being twisted in order to find the needle in a haystack. Because... The spirit of VAR when it was brought to this game was to correct egregious errors. A goal that was an offside, a red card that should have not been given or maybe should have been given. But now we have this tool and it's being applied to roll the tape back and to almost fabricate penalties when in real life a, a pull like that, how many of those pulls do we get in a game. So how much of this, Christina, is the referee interpreting the context, interpreting the spirit of what's at stake in, in, in the game? And how much is it, yeah, sure, if we look at it in VAR, if we roll back the tape. You could call a, a foul on every play, right? Like this, yeah, yeah, sure, it should be recommended, yeah, by by. All the minutiae of the details that you analyze sending a ref to a monitor, yeah, it can be a penalty kick. So how much balance does a referee need to have or is he allowed to interpret the spirit of the game going into this? Uh, both the referee and the VAR are allowed to. So when we take a look at this, right, it is a merely a recommendation from that VAR. The referee still has the final decision. As a referee in a match, when you have VAR, you do referee as if you would believe that all like the that you don't have eyes in the sky, right? You referee as you always have. That's the intent and that's the purpose. In these plays, and kind of going to what Charlie mentioned, right? Anytime there's a ball in play, there's always some upper body contact. There's some pushing. There's some shoving. That's accepted and that's normal play in the spirit of the game here. Now, where this one may, is different from what all others. So when everyone says any touches are going to be fouls now, I think that's just a blanket statement and that just kind of misses the fact of the actual action that occurred here, which was actual the hook and the hold. When you are Paul Tierney, when you are that center official in the middle of that field, you are looking through the back of these numbers as they are going in through the drop zone based upon where your positioning is. So naturally, you see some upper body contact. You say it's probably not going to be enough. It might just be some arm, shoulder pushing back and forth, which is acceptable. 
However, when you take that tape and you replay it back, and the best angle essentially is the reverse 18 camera angle, so opposite side of where the AR would be, nowhere where the referee technically would be, it's very, very hard to see that hook on that midriff pulling that player back essentially from getting that going. And that right there, plus the fact that he would have been in the drop zone, that puts that into context a little bit better because these are bang, bang plays in the sense that you're not just looking at Rodri, right? You're looking at the far left, you're looking at the right, you're looking at other potential fouls. That puts a little bit more color into it. The referee takes what he feels at that moment, goes to the monitor, sees the black and white evidence because this isn't really a needle in a haystack kind of a play. This is more of putting this into context. And because of that hook hold and he would have been in the drop zone, that's what does push this into an error. So what can you explain about the no call on Haaland going into the box against Maguire in the second half, where seemingly there was a very similar, if not heavier action. Yeah, and so that's where we kind of have those conversations about not all types of physical contact are exactly the same. So we have right there, they're all both pushing back each other, all shoving at one another right there. Sorry, I was kind of zeroing in on that, right? When you have a more of a 50-50 battle like that, the the essentially the standard, the barrier comes less, right? You got both are pushing, both are holding, both are shoving, uh, going in there, they're both tussling, they're both fighting off of each other. And then take a look. He is nowhere near that drop zone. So even if, but for, let's say we don't have this foul. Don't get me wrong. He's, you know, he's the, uh, you know, wonder man. He can get there possibly. But when that foul happens and that ball crosses, the impact isn't as high as where Rodri himself wasn't pushing back. There was a full pull. So is there some gray areas and some levels? The answer is yes. And this is what the debates are here for. But essentially, that one's going to be distinguished from it because of the drop zone, most importantly. So therefore, the impact isn't as high and that they were tussling as opposed to just a pure whole hook where Rodri is not even fighting back on that one. I, I just feel that the, there's a big gray area, right? Because both in both cases, the defender is, is pulling or tugging on the attacking player and he is behind the player. Mm. And you could argue that Holland, if he's not pulled, that that ball actually goes to him because he went down and bef before the cross. So then the person who's, who's attempting the pass goes, oh, he's not on, so I'm not going to play it to him. So therefore, he's, he's irrelevant, that fall. So I think there, you could argue an impact in any way, regardless. I, but I kind I, of I, agree I, with Nico here. I mean, the way McGuire's holding Holland, some people only get held like that on their anniversary. It was a bit much. <laughs> That's not even the joke is there for to give it to give context. It was a lot. It was aggressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Christina, let, we'll we'll move along to a, a different subject. Um, we saw something interesting this weekend. Will still is the the manager at Lem. He was was sent off, but then against um, the game against Lorient, but then waited until after the game so he could apologize to the referee, which is just something we, we don't really see often. What's your reaction to, to something like this? And when a manager kind of makes that type of gesture, what, is that, what does that look like from your perspective? Uh, ultimately class act, right? So we know that there is energy, there's emotion, uh, there's a lot on the line, especially when we talk about professional, right? I'm not talking about youth soccer, but professional when you got jobs on the line, uh, you know, you got players and we know that those, everything that gets pulled into, whether you think these fouls are going for you or they're not going for you, that can pour into the field. We're completely aware of that. You know, you're not refereeing at the highest level if you have thin skin, for lack of a better term. However, when you see a manager who understands and realizes that they've probably gone beyond the line, um, and that might not have been, that might have been, and for Will, so it's pretty 
much out of character. For him to go after the facts and apologize for it, it's just ultimately class act. It's that recognition that the game and the energy got to you. Um, and I don't, and it, 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 this is such a small environment, especially at the professional level, where your reputation is all you have, um, not only as a manager, not only as official, but as a player as well. And I think that goes a lot, too. And I know we have and we know those individuals, those managers, um, you know, that you're going to give a little bit of a deference to based upon their character and their nature and how they respond. So I think that goes a lot to Will still. And I think it's a class act. Yeah, it's just genuinely to to be able to go up to a referee after making a mistake mm -hmm. in the game, the heat of the moment, to go up and acknowledge the referee. That is, he's a gentleman. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 when there's been so much animosity mm -hmm. towards referees and and they are most of the time scapegoats for things gone wrong. This is what I appreciate, Christina, because mirror that. No, not mirror, juxtapose that with the way that Mourinho behaved after the Europa League final, which creates this, I would, animosity is too small of a word, this violence towards referees because we saw the way that that ref entered the airport. So it's, it, it's, really, it's a really nice gesture to see. It's the respect. Mm. Uh, knowing that, okay, I, I made a mistake and I, I have to show that I respect these referees and, and I won't make that mistake again. I, I think that goes a long way. And, you you all you want to see the respect given both ways. As much as we can erupt, let's also give them kudos. It's a difficult job. Amen. More will stills in this world. And yeah, Christina, anyone disrespects you, you send them our way. We got your back. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. They're not gonna want to mess with you. <laughs> That's right. I've had my coffee too. <laughs> I'm on fire today. Uh, Christina, thank you so much. We always appreciate you. Thank you, Christina. Of course. Thanks all. All right, thank guys. Thank you, Madam President. <laughs> We're going to take a break. Um, we're going to check in with Anita Jones. We're going to chat some Premier League with her as well as the Lionesses and their international break. That's coming up after a quick timeout. Stay with us. Morning footy. Here's a look at the weekend results in the Premier League. Liverpool with the 3-0 win over Nottingham Forest. We had Everton getting the 1-0 win over West Ham. 5-0 Arsenal over Sheffield United. Uh, Brentford 2-0 over Chelsea. Um, but let's chat more about that Manchester Derby City getting the 3-0 win at Old, Tra Old Trafford. We bring in the one and only Anita Jones to discuss it. Hello, Anita. How are you? Hey, Susanna, you guys may see my hand floating with my mic here. Had slight technical issues, but not as many technical issues as Manchester United at the moment. That's a good, you know what? That's a good transition. You, you look like a TikToker, yeah. you know? They <laughs> hold the, the little microphones. It's, it's great. It's totally on brand. Okay, so let's chat about this Manchester derby. As you mentioned, um, a pretty a rough outing for, for Manchester United and um, City just com in complete control of this one. What's sort of been the, the reaction in England to, to this result for United? I mean, what else could it be other than alarm bells sounding? You know, they are 11 points off top of the table Spurs. They've lost five games from their opening 10 Premier League games this season. And then you go into the stats and it looks even more scary. They've now lost 34 games at Old Trafford since the Alex Ferguson retired 10 years ago. And over his 26-year spell at the club, they only lost 34 games at Old Trafford in that time. So, as I said, alarm bells are ringing. But then it comes to the overarching theme around Manchester United and the ownership. 
So whilst people are saying things on the pitch are not going well and questioning whether Eric Ten Hag, who we can see on our screen, has lost the dressing room, questions are also being asked yet again about what is going on with this ownership because there's huge question marks around that as well. Anita, let's not talk about Dusty United. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about top of the Dusty table, United. North London right now. Absolutely top of the table, looking good. Let's talk in particular about Arsenal. Five goals, uh, looking incredible. Eddie Nketiah with a hat trick. But a couple injuries uh, were announced prior to the match. What are your thoughts? What did you see? So I like how you tried to, you know, negate the fact that the team that's at the top of the table is actually Spurs. Never well, heard we'll of them. Never heard um, of yeah, them, Yeah, so Arsenal, and another win for them um, off the back of that win in Europe against Sevilla. And it was Eddie Nketiah's first Premier League hat-trick, which is really nice to see because we all go on socials. We see how many times he gets questioned. In fact, that third goal was his furthest from the goal mouth that he scored. Normally, he's kind of considered this kind of fox in the box, but that, that was really pure brilliance. And the fact that Jesus is out, he does need to step up, whether we like it or not. And then um, I think it was really nice. Tomiyasu got a goal too, and he said it was for his late mum who'd passed away last year. And I guess if you think about his form when he came back from injury last year, it kind of makes sense if he did have personal issue, issues off the pitch. And then also... Um, Vieira getting his first goal. There's really this nice kind of camaraderie amongst Arsenal where um, they're giving the ball to players to take penalty kicks who haven't got goals yet. We saw that with Kai Havertz as well. So it seems to be good vibes with Mikel Arteta and his men in spite of injuries. But yeah, whether Eddie Nketiah is the man, should Jesus be out for a while? I don't know. That is the real fact. They probably need to dip into that January transfer window and bring another attacker. An all-out number nine would be great, um, but we'll see whether they have time for that. Already spent a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to put money on it? <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! Oh, I see what you did there. Me, I wasn't laughing. You can say that one. I wasn't laughing. What about Victor Osimhen? I said I'd take him. I'd take him any day. Yes. Anita, I wanted to ask you about the Lionesses and them playing in Nations League. You want to bring us up to speed with what's going on there? So it was great to see them kind of get back to winning ways. Uh, they played, uh, it was Belgium um, just recently, and it was their third out of uh, six games in their group. Now, prior to that, they'd lost to the Netherlands, and that was the third loss that England had suffered under the, the manager, Serena Wiegmann, and they really needed to turn it around because um, not only is there a chance to win a title here, but should England make the final, they then help. Team uh, GB qualify for the Olympics next year at the uh, in Paris. So there's a lot riding on it. Um, as you can see from the table there, they're level on points with Netherlands, but Netherlands are ahead of them due to the head-to-head -head difference. And they've got um, a game, the return leg against Belgium tomorrow, actually. So it, it was good that they got a, a, a win there, like I said. And I guess one of the highlights was that Frank Kirby came back. She'd been out with injury for over a year. Yeah, there she is buzzing. Everyone was really buzzing. She's one of those creative players and England have really lacked that. Someone they'll hope to get back in there is Beth Mead, the Arsenal player. She's recently just got back into her club Arsenal after an ACL injury. So hopefully they're turning a tide here. Amazing. Uh, Anita, I was just looking at the, the Premier League 
table just to kind of turn it back. And it's interesting because when it's all pretty tight, you know, we've got we've got Tottenham and Arsenal and City and Liverpool and then Villa is is right in that mix as well. It feels like this couldn't this could be one of those seasons where there's not going to be it's not going to be like City running away with it. You know, it feels like there it's it's a little bit more more balanced. Is that what what you're kind of anticipating uh this season as we start to approach the the holidays and the Christmas because that's always kind of the benchmark. Like where are you at before before Christmas in the Premier League table? Yeah, for Alexis, Charlie and myself, it's scary times. Um, I think what will be really interesting for Spurs in particular is they seem to be getting wins both beautifully and ugly. On Friday, they played Crystal Palace and that was a really ugly win, but they dug deep. And now Son, one of their captains, um, has got eight goals in 10 games, whereas last season he only got... I believe, 10 goals from 36 games in total across all competitions, which by his standards were really poor. But come January, there is the Africa Cup of Nations and the Asian Cup. And for a team like Spurs, that could be really detrimental because not only will they miss Son, they'll miss Papsar and Yves Basuma. So I think that will be a real test for them. If they keep blowing teams away as they are now, I think in the new year, that's when we'll start to see the likes of maybe Arsenal, um, and Man City, Liverpool, question mark, your side there, because you won't have Mo Salah, but yeah. we'll see whether those teams can turn up the pressure on Ange Postacoglu and his men. Yeah, and it's, Tottenham have a tough stretch coming up. Mm-hmm. It, I was looking at their schedule yesterday, so it is. It's going to be interesting to see if they can maintain this incredible pace. But boy, have they been fun to watch. Um, <laughs> Anita, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Always great to see you. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Um, All right, guys, we're going to take another break. When we come back, um, we are looking ahead to a pair of uh, MLS Cup playoff matches tonight that we have to look forward to. Orlando, Nashville, Dallas, Seattle. Let's go. That's coming up after a quick timeout. Welcome back. Here's a look at your Monday footy fix tonight. We have a couple of MLS Cup playoff matches to look forward to as Orlando City host Nashville SC in the east and out west. We've got the Seattle Sounders taking on FC Dallas. You can watch these matches on Apple TV+. Plus. All right, let's chat about this Orlando-Nashville SC match. I am very intrigued. Very intrigued by this one. Alexis and I were just chatting. We don't know where to go on this one because Orlando has arguably been probably like the hottest team in Major League Soccer um, over the last three months of the season. Nashville typically really good defensively, but they've been leaking some goals. Mm -hmm. Charlie, I don't know. What do you think? How's this one going to go? It it could go. It's one of those things where – Neither are convincing, truly convincing. I, I, I know Orlando have been strong as of late, and I, I would give them the advantage at home. And Nashville, they've really struggled to score goals. Yeah. But Nashville haven't lost in their last four away matches. This literally is a, a coin toss. It's Honestly, Suze, which one are you betting on? Because then I'll just pick the other one <laughs> to win. Fair. <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. I don't, I don't know. I think in this one, perhaps I give it – the edge slightly to Orlando just yes, because they home. are at uh-huh. home yeah. and they've they've played well there. Duncan McGuire has been outstanding. He's been been scoring some bangers for them. I, but just Nashville yeah. aren't haven't been convincing I know, enough for me. I know, and they've they've been um, a little bit disappointing down the stretch. And they I have think been. like defensively, you just you you always count on them to be so solid, and they just they've been leaking goals in the back. Um, what about Seattle, Dallas? Oof, Dallas for me have been very underwhelming. I know they got that last. 
I'm gonna Gascoigne. go with Seattle. I think Seattle. They, yeah. They've been low key under the radar all season. Yeah. Right. But this is Fly when they the show up. And 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 I feel that they've started to catch some heat. But they shouldn't be under the radar. The Seattle. But Saturday they have. They have be. been. It's just this always season, there. They have been under the radar. This Bring season. on the Orca logo. Yeah. That's what I want. And I'm going with Seattle uh, at home. Oh my gosh. The the, the supporters there. They they come Woman with it. Field gonna be lit. Nico Lodeiro's last dance. Oh. Oh yeah. That's right. These playoffs. Oh, guys, I, I forgot Nico. to tell you. He's in the Hall of Fame for Boston hey! College. Hey! Come on. Thank Hall you. of Famer. Stop it. Come Just on. Easy. Thank you. We're so proud. So proud. Proud to call you a friend. Proud to call you a colleague. All of it. Thank you. Uh, guys, thanks so much for uh, starting your week with us. Let's do it again tomorrow. Have a fantastic Monday, everybody. We'll see you soon.